Hi, everybody, and welcome to what is now episode 17 of the Fenced In podcast. Welcome back. Hello from our second national lockdown. Um, for those of you that follow us regularly, uh, you'll know that it's Ben, Pegs and Chris Mollard. Um, we are two GB international foilists and also coach and student. Um, and this week we are bringing uh, another guest to you, a mystery guest. And that is Dan Burke. Yeah, so Dan is the founder of Fencing Time. Um, as a fencer himself with over 20 plus years experience, uh, mostly in foil, but sometimes dabbling in epee. Uh, and some veteran tournaments. He is somebody whose software we've probably all used at one stage or another, uh, but not necessarily known who was behind it. So thank you, Dan, very much for joining us uh, in this episode. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Excited to share my story with everyone. Amazing. And what what's the situation like in the States, uh, fencing-wise? I mean, is uh, have things been locked down? Are you allowed to fence? Are, you, are, are people just kind of applying common sense? Yeah, it sort of varies depending on where you are in the country. Um, I'm in Seattle, and we've been in various stages of lockdown since, obviously, things started around March. Um, for a little while, everything was shut down, and then over the summer, they changed the the restrictions so that you could do some limited practices and small classes and lessons um, but then recently back, I think in, I guess it was late November or mid December, somewhere there, they stopped that because, you know, things have gotten notably worse around here. Um, in some parts of the country, they're a little more lenient. Um, but you know, there pretty much are no competitions. Um, and you know, most people, there's a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of clubs are doing, um, you know, training on Zoom or things like that, you know, like footwork practice on, on the screen. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been tough. I mean, I haven't been on the piece since March, which is kind of disappointing. Um, I think I'm getting a bit fat, so I'm looking forward to when, uh, when things are safe enough for us to return. I think um, everybody post Christmas always feels that little bit of uh, mid drift expansion, right? I certainly have felt the same way. I was copious amounts of turkey over the Christmas period, especially with the fact here in 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 the UK we are in a very similar situation to you, which is um, kind of this this lockdown, or it certainly was over the Christmas period. We thought we were going to get five days um, of of kind of doing what we want, but unfortunately we went in, into a, a kind of like secondary lockdown, and and now it's been really tightened up. So, um, in fact, I read a quite a funny stat the other day that said something like, um, I think the alcohol consumption of the UK has gone up by 25% in 2020, which, to be honest, doesn't surprise me. And I think most of that 25% came at the Christmas period. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably right. The talk about last-minute changes. Do you know in Australia, so my brother-in-law is in Australia at the moment, he's been there for about a year and a half. He's meant to be there for two years with his wife who is a doctor on new year's eve at 5 p.m the australian government changed the law to say no parties no freedom oh, no nothing no. like go home oh, um, wow. 5 p.m on new year's eve i mean how does that work most people are probably already wasted yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i learned they made a joke uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, w- I wouldn't say that seriously i thought it'd be some kind of like scam it's not too bad down there too i mean compared with most places no they did very well and i think they they held lockdown until they had zero cases. I think they did a very good job with that. But I think they are still, you know, I think like everywhere, 
it's it's still popping up so you know hopefully that you know they'll they'll get some freedom back but i think new zealand are the winners here they've kind of they managed to do everything very well and i think life really is kind of normal for them at the moment yeah yeah doing very well so dan 20 years plus experience in fencing um obviously this is this is a, such a, a a weird year right because as you said you haven't been on the piece since march that's that's obviously a shock not only to myself um but but you know for you who's as you said i've got 20 20 years experience on the piece um how did kind of fencing come into your life and kind of when was that in your life um well originally it was uh right before i went off to university <clears throat> back when i was i guess 18 which seems like so long ago um you know i was still i hadn't left to go and uh you know, before I went, I thought, well, I, I'm going to need some kind of activity to keep myself, keep myself busy. So before I, uh, the summer before I left, I found a, a club. Uh, I grew up down in Los Angeles. And so I found a, a local club down there, took a few lessons because, you know, it just seemed, it always seemed like a cool thing to do. You know, it just was kind of fascinating because, you know, I was into fantasy novels and things like that. So I did once I got to the university, I joined up with the the club there, which was really, you know, a, a casual club. You know, they weren't a, a team that would go compete with other other schools or anything like that. Um, but it was, you know, it was a fun, fun thing to do. Uh, but as, as the years went on and the, the workload got busier and busier, I didn't have time to do it. So that after I think I've. I think I did it for maybe two years. Um, then, you know, after I graduated and moved back to, uh, you know, back west to get a job, um, you know, I'd, I'd never had time to do it. So if you fast forward to the year 2000, um, the Sydney Olympics were happening. And I thought, you know, I should check out fencing, you know, just watch, see if it'll be on TV or, <clears throat> you know maybe uh see how what's going on in the fencing world and uh you know there was a club that had just opened near me you know in up here in seattle and uh so i decided you know hey maybe i'll go give it a try again and uh, i went i joined the club start took a dug all my old foils out of the closet my old uh jacket which did not fit anymore <laughs> and uh took the beginner class and was amazed to see how quickly I remembered stuff. And, uh, yeah, I've been with that club ever since, you know, kind of, it's been fun. You know, they grew from a pretty small club to now we're, you know, one of the biggest clubs here in the, in the area. So it's, you know, I've been through that evolution as well as, you know, just kind of my own, you know, casual career. Awesome. That, and that, that's a, that's a great story and a great little journey. In fact, uh, I've often spent some time in, 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 in LA doing some, doing some training down there myself before the Grand Prix and stuff like that. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of fencing down there and, and clubs seem to be springing up all the time, which, which is great. It's, it's lovely to see when um, fencing is expanding in an area. So, uh, and, and you said you were at college or university at the time. What was it you were studying? Um, I was doing computer engineering, which uh, was amusing because, you know, I, you know, I'd been doing, you know, programming on my own, you know, as a kid. And I thought, oh, I should go into, you know, the engineering side, you know, more designing the, the computers themselves. And, you know, it was kind of a, a branch of electrical engineering. And, uh, you know, it was interesting and 
fun, you know, but I didn't take too much of the normal like computer science stuff a little bit, but you know, more of the focus was on hardware design. And I con concluded kind of after four years that I didn't really want to do hardware. You know, I'd rather, uh, rather stick with, um, with the, <laughs> with the software. And so, uh, yeah, once I graduated, I got a job doing software and I've been doing that ever since. And when, when, what was the kind of the pivotal point when both like your fencing that, that was, that was obviously this, this kind of big part in your life that was, was kind of flitting in and out, but kind of still constant. And then obviously, you know, you, you kind of study, when did the two kind of merge? Um, <clears throat> well, it was interesting. The, you know, the, at, at the time, you know, my club would run some small competitions, you know, just for, you know, for fun. And, you know, this was what year, maybe 2001, 2002. No, actually, no, earlier, 2000, 2001. And, um, you know, they would try to, there's a really old program that no one ever really used, but, you know, got a little bit of use in the U.S. And, you know, the, my coach was trying to figure out how to use this thing to run a competition. And I was watching him struggle with this thing because it was really badly designed and difficult to use and i'm watching this and i'm like i can write a better program than this and it just so happened at the time that uh, microsoft had just released some new technology for building building programs that i wanted to learn and so i kind of said hey this would be a a good you know project to to use to learn you know the the language and you know, since for me, at least, you know, when you're writing software, you know, the best way to learn something is to actually try to use the stuff. You know, I can't just read a book about it and you know, you've got to actually sit there and, you know, write some programs. So it was kind of a perfect timing of, uh, you know, of trying to wanting to learn that and then build a, a, a program that would make it easier to run the competitions at the club. Awesome. And actually, for people that are kind of unsure what fencing time is, can you kind of give us like a, an overview exactly? Yeah. So, well, so fencing time is in its most basic functionality. It's, you know, a, a program you'll run on your PC for organizing your competition. Um, you know, you, you enter the, the list of the fencers or teams. If you're running a team competition, you set up all the uh, all the pools and then enter the scores and it'll do all the math that's necessary create the the, the d tableau and you punch in the scores and you know it'll then give you all the results so it's you know it, it makes it so that you don't have to do any of that on paper which at that time if you weren't using some of the few pre programs out there you were doing everything on paper which was really slow really long as well <laughs> yeah yeah and so, so what did, you've alluded to it slightly there, but what did Fencing Time do? Well, the biggest thing that the, the other program didn't do was it didn't, it wasn't very easy to use because it didn't, you know, present the, the competition in a way that people were familiar. For example, um, you know, everyone's familiar with the score sheet for a pool, you know, the familiar grid where the scores are put in. And this particular program instead of giving you the grid with the, you know, where you'd put the scores, it would basically just give you a list of the bouts. You'd have to enter the scores for each bout in order. And I'm not sure if they were in the order that they were fenced, but this isn't particularly conducive to typing in a lot of scores, especially, 
if the you know if you've run the run the competition still using a a traditional score sheet with the grid so you know that was one thing which you know i realized you know the 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 best way to make the program easy to use is to you know present the stuff on the screen in the same way people are used to seeing it on paper you know one of the things which i've i've always had a bit of an interest in user interface design and trying to make things easy to use and you know that was again watching my coach struggle with this other program that was kind of the impetus for for writing it because again i thought if i can make this easy to use more people will use it and you know it'll make things more efficient and <clears throat> you know we had um a funny uh, funny point on that during all these competitions that we would run at the club um, there was one of the fencers, she was our kind of star fencer and she'd compete in everything. And her mom would always be there and she would be, you know, just kind of reading or hanging out, watching her daughter fence, but she always wanted to help some in some way, you know, cause she wasn't really, you know, there wasn't much to do other than wait for the competition to end. And a lot of times we'd try to, you know, ask her if she, you know, could type in some scores or help with the paperwork. My goal when building it was to make it so that the it was so easy that she could use it without, you know, needing someone to show her every step of the way. Um, so that was kind of the, 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 the metric for success. You know, the coach would set up the pools, you know, so that they were balanced in terms of, you know, the skill levels of the fencers. But once that was done, you know, she could she knew how to type in the scores and click the buttons so that it would start the the tableau and print out the the sheets and cut them up so the idea of 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 being like a nerd or a geek like it's always an interesting concept some people find it quite an offensive word personally i don't i think it's quite a, a term of almost endearment i'm i'm definitely definitely offensing like nerd geek i love it i want to learn more about it and i've got i think quite a deep knowledge on it um, and, and would you, would you consider yourself like a fencing nerd and, and a fencing geek, like, you know, fully in, in, in immersed in, in everything that is fencing and fencing software? I don't know. I, I definitely am, a, you know, a computer geek or a computer okay. nerd. Um, <laughs> growing up nerd was more the derogatory term, although these days it's, it's more a badge of honor, I think, because everyone has realized that, you know, we're the ones that are going to rule the world because we know how everything works. Yeah, um, I'm not as much of a, a fencing geek as as many people. You know, I I don't follow you know the the top echelons of the sport or the athletes nearly as much as some people. And you know, again, since my my my, my fencing skills are you know solidly mediocre. You know, I, I haven't taken a an, a lesson I think in probably four or five years. You know, I'm not a super serious competitor. So, you know, I, I, I'm i not as into, you know, I, I know that I've got friends that are really into it and they'll watch videos online and analyze, you know, the tactics and, you know, the the what the top fencers are doing. Um, but, yeah, that's not as that is not as much not not a big thing for me. And so you had some early success with fencing time by sharing it around the club. What what happened next? So, yeah. So at first, you know, it was basically just for use at the club. Um, and, you know, we would use it as a, you know, I was constantly adding to it, you know, getting feedback from the coaches and, you know, one of my coaches is a, you know, a good friend of mine and, um, he's one of the owners of the club 
and he he worked at Microsoft for I don't know twenty years or fifteen years, and so you know being a, a, a computer guy also he was able to give me a, a lot of ideas and so uh, you know that helped you know move the move the design along pretty quickly, um, and you know we would use the software for running competitions that were not just you know, in the club, but also, you know, ones that invited fencers from around the region. And when those guys saw it, they would want it. So I give copies to, you know, the other clubs in the area uh, and they started using it. And it occurred to me, you know, this, this is getting kind of useful. This is more than just a, a little, you know, a little toy that, you know, is only useful for, you know, for friends of mine. So it, it's pretty funny how it originally started, um, you know, going, this must have been, I started writing it in 2001, and I think it was around, I guess it must have been 2002 that I made a, finally, an official release to, that would be available to everyone. And, you know, back, this was back, you know, before uh, internet distribution was as widely done. So what I did was I, uh, I burned some, CDs with it on there, printed my own labels and um, and at some of the big national competitions, which you know I would go to, where you know the in the U.S. you know we've got the, the North American Cups they call them, which you know draw fencers from all over the country, and there's usually one of them each month. And uh, at almost all these events, you know they have a table outside the the fencing hall where you know you would put flyers for like training camps or competitions and you know people would see the stuff and pick up the stuff they're interested in so i would put out a, a stack of cds with fencing time on it with a little brochure and say hey try the software and you know it started getting around and you know people would email me if they liked it you know sometimes with problems more often with you know suggestions on features that they would like to see and um and yeah just sort of kind of grew organically and it um you know and then you know as the years went on it turned migrated into you know I, I built a web page for it and then you know started the where you could buy a license for it actually back originally it, would, it was a one-time purchase and so you know I was still kind of figuring out you know how to make money on it that originally wasn't the plan but as it grew I was like okay I I need to somehow figure out a way to make a little bit of money to compensate for all the time I spent working on it. And it sounds like you got some really good user feedback there as well, testing with real people, you know, kind of remotely people getting in touch. Were there any specific features that you found really useful, like real aha light bulb moments that people got in touch with you about that you hadn't considered? And I suppose, and was there, was it all on the topic of like competitions or was there anything about training or you know, maybe kind of practice that, that came into that as well. A lot of the things which, you know, made it, you know, <clears throat> made it so popular, again, kind of going back to the ease of use, um, you know, that, that certainly helped it, you know, helped it go, go around the world, not the world, around the country. The world was later. Yeah, people, a lot of people asked for features that would help them run, you know, bigger competitions or competitions that had, you know, a lot more fencers than just, you know, a small club competition. Um, one of the big features that I added was the, um, the, the having the, the bout IDs where, you know, in, in other software, you know, around, around this time, you know, there was some other software out there 
Um, you know, the, the French software on guard was used somewhat in the U S for some of the bigger competitions. Um, some, not as many people were knew how to use it cause it was not the easiest thing to use, but it was, you know, fairly capable. And, you know, one thing that on guard didn't let you do was run competitions with more than one event. So, you know, if you were running on this one day, you would have a foil event and an epe event, you know, in on guard, you'd have to kind of switch between, you know, events and load, load them separately. It was a little, a little messy. Um, so people were like, Hey, it'd be nice if I could do multiple events at the same time. Um, so fencing time, you know, I added that, uh, I added a persistent database where you wouldn't have to retype in every fencer's name each time. You know, if you, once you had had them in one of your competitions, they were available to reuse in future competitions, which made it a, a snap to, you know, set one up if you had, um, had, you know, especially if you're in a region where you run a lot of local events, it's always, you know, the same bunch of fencers for the most part. So you didn't have to keep retyping names. Um, and also, like I was about to mention, one of the big things was the introduction of the, the bout ID numbers where I made it so that every match in the, uh, in the competition, mostly the, the elimination matches, uh, it would, you would just type in a number that was on the score sheet and would instantly take you to that match in the program and you could type in the scores regardless of which event it was in. So, you know, if you've got, you know, if you've got people bringing a whole bunch of score sheets back to the DT from, you know, some from the foil event, some from the epe event, you could just type in the number off of the score sheet and it didn't matter which event it was from, it would pop up the window where you could type in the score and then hit enter and type in the next score sheet number and you could run, run through a a whole stack of them in a couple of minutes if you were a good typist. That's um, it's it's so cool to like hear you talk about this in the way you know you've looked at so many things and, and almost look at look looked at the problems and found solutions to those. Um, and and I suppose what better place to kind of find those problems that on than on such a massive scale? Uh, I I was blown away by the size of us tournaments i mean in in kind of the the uk we've got a very very large fencing base of of, of, of fences and and you know but, but a very recreational base but competitions maybe at, certainly at senior level draw in um kind of 100 to 120 athletes but you know in in the us when you're looking at some of the kiddies tournaments you've got thousands and thousands of kids and as you say you're running kind of multiple events um obviously you've got uh, both sexes you've got team events as well and as you say with some of your like uh, national cups and, and 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 your championships and stuff you know you're looking at thousands of people coming through the door i mean you guys use huge convention centers so ultimately you know this is this is not some small little kind of venue in essex just outside london where you've got maybe 200 people tops this is you know a huge kind of convention center in a major city in america which people are flying to across the country just just to be able to compete in a, in a thousand person competition so it, it, it what better place to find the problems than than we're using software that can't actually cope with with that that much and and so using it in a u.s competition is the is the almost a perfect storm for any kind of program like that yeah, yeah, it definitely, you know, was, I had, I had a good environment for testing. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was, it was nice because I would be able to do a lot of, introduce a lot of new features and try them out at my club before I made them into the official release. And, and one thing which actually helped me a lot was that during this 
during this time while I was building the software and, you know, kind of casually fencing, I, I also, you know, wound up becoming the, the chair of the, the local fencing chapter, the division, as we call it. So, you know, one of the roles I have is, you know, is organizing competitions here in, in the Seattle area. Um, and, you know, there's, I mean, there's, I don't know, over a normal year, you know, we'll have at least one or two competitions each weekend. Um, but, you know, we run, you know, the, the, the division, you know, runs, uh, what, five or six competitions over the course of the season, while the clubs, you know, they run many more. Um, but given all that that I was doing, I was helping organize these competitions. And so, and inevitably that would mean I would be on the DT. So I'm running the competitions if I wasn't fencing in them. Although sometimes I'd fence and run the competition and, you know, being fairly mediocre, I would get eliminated early. So I would be able to help run things more. Um, and so, you know, being that I was, a user of the software, I, you know, came up with a lot of ideas to make it easier to use because it was, you know, I was, I'd be using it and thinking there's a more efficient way to do this particular step, or, you know, there's some annoyance about how I'm running things that were in my power to figure out a way to make it easier. And so a lot of, uh, a lot of features kind of came to me just from being a, being a user um, and, you know, also, you know, as, as the program evolved and I started adding things like the ability to have, you know, the screens in the venue that displayed things like the pools and the tableaus and then like the live results on the Internet, you know, because I also was a fencer, you know, I, I knew what data I would want to see as a fencer when I'm in the middle of the competition. You know, I, I want to go up to a screen and I want to go, I want to see the, the current standings or I want to see what what piece am I supposed to be on? You know, same thing for, you know, coaches and, you know, referees. So, you know, again, since I mentioned, you know, I, I referee every now and then, not, not so much, but, you know, I, I have, since I wear many hats, um, I use the program as these different categories of user and each one gave me some insight into ways I could make it more useful for that particular type of user. Uh, and, you know, even though, you know, the one thing I don't do is I don't coach, but, you know, as I mentioned, you know, my friend is a coach, so I get a lot of feedback from him about what the coaches need. And so I understand now that it's being used by the FIE. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. In, in 2000, I think it was 2014, uh, it was finally homologated by the FIE, which, was a very long and I won't say painful, but a very long and educational process um, because you know I hadn't didn't have much experience with you know World Cups or anything you know at the FIE level, and when I first started uh, trying to get that you know, get them to homologate it, I I quickly learned that the way we do things in the U.S. is quite different from how other countries do it and certainly you know world cups and grand prix uh you know the, the way the formats are a little different um you know our competitions in the u.s are optimized for speed to get things done as quickly as possible which is necessary when you've got a competition with 300 fencers in just one event um so i had to learn a lot about 
the way the FIE competitions are run. Um, back in, I don't even remember what year it was, 2012 maybe, um, one of my friends qualified to be on the U.S. Uh, veteran team, and it was in, in Austria that year. And so uh, I decided to tag along with him to go and observe how Vet Worlds was run you know, again, seeing it as a an FIE competition where I could maybe eavesdrop on the DT and also, you know, watch him fence and cheer him on, which was nice. And so uh, I went there and observed how things were done. Quickly realized that the uh, the veteran events are not really run up to the same level that you would expect, like at a World Cup. Um, but it was still quite educational and. I made some changes to support, you know, the the FIE formats and things like that. And then um, I guess it was probably like 2013 or 2012 that I submitted it for homologation. And uh, and then that whole process started where I went to, uh, I was invited to use, they would run it in parallel at uh, the European Championships in Zagreb. Mm-hmm. So I went there and spent a few days and they were testing it and, uh, came back with a huge list of things I needed to change. <laughs> and they came to you, they asked you to, or, or you went to them and you submitted. I went to you them. Sub- you went to them. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then they had to test the whole process and then you got feedback from that. To- they have a, a process for, you know, evaluating new programs. And so I, you know, contacted the people that, you know, they told me to contact and made arrangements. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a somewhat informal process, but, formal enough that you know it got you know get me the the information i needed and you know they they got to see it you know to the level they needed to and what they required in order to sign it off and say yeah we want to use this did some of the features that you have already fly way past that mark and they were just impressed with the usability and additional features rather than or did they come back and say you need to have live results you need to have um, you know, you need to have a user interface that that is is much easier to use than whatever we're using now. Or was it were they kind of much more minute changes and requirements? Well, the biggest the biggest changes that they well the, the requirements they had were fairly straightforward in terms of you know you need to be able to run a, a World Cup, for example, according to the rules, handle all the the situations that you might encounter. You know, everything from, you know, handling medical withdrawals properly to, you know, if you have to have a barrage after the pools to see who gets, you know, the, the buy after the, the first round of pools before the, the, the preliminary tableau, things like that. Um, and so there, there weren't there really weren't any requirements around how the program functioned. Um, you know, the way they did the testing was that they were they were running the competition um can't remember i think they were running it with on guard uh, and so what we would do is we would take the data that came from on guard and set up the exact same like the exact same pools in fencing time and as the scores came back from the piece you know they'd of course the official people would type the data into on guard and the, that was how the competition was run but i would then type the the same scores into fencing time and they would compare the results you know make sure that the ranking after the pools matched exactly. And, you know, they wanted to make sure that the way the pools even were laid out matched within, you know, within reason, you know, there's sometimes a little bit of random element there. 
Um, but yeah, they were looking more for correctness. Um, the biggest area that I kind of didn't, <laughs> didn't understand was the referee assigning for assigning the referees to the pools and more importantly to how they were assigned to the tableau. Um, because, you know, they're assigned by quadrant usually and things like that, which again, this was completely different from how, how we do things in the U S where, you know, we don't pre-assign the referees to the matches there. You know, it's literally whichever referee is on the piece that has his mat, his match finishes. And then they hand them whichever the one is on the stack that's next. So, you know, the, the concept of scheduling the matches to a certain piece at a certain time with a certain referee was a little bit foreign for me. So I, I had to make a lot of changes to support that. And so, yeah, it was mostly functionality that I just didn't quite understand. And, uh, but in terms of, you know, the, the sort of the specific nice features of fencing time, that wasn't, they weren't really looking at that, at least initially. That sounds like an amazing journey. And so presumably it being ratified in around 2014, fencing time has now been used at the Olympics. No, not yet. I, that's, no. that's, that's the goal eventually. Fingers crossed. Um, Fingers crossed. And yeah. so what, what's missing? Why, why, why not? <clears throat> the, the Olympics are an interesting, are an interesting competition. Um, a lot of it has to do, I think, uh, with contracts that the IOC has with specific providers and and it um it requires actually a custom version of the software um the the olympics for for some time have been run using the the german software that is you know available well they i think they're used i don't know if they're used as widespread as they used to be is that open uh, part is that the one yeah yeah Opart. The, yeah yeah. Oh, Opart, yeah yeah they um they built a, a custom version for the Olympics. And again, you have to work with, there's, there's a specific IT company that I guess is kind of in charge of some of the Olympic systems um, that you need to integrate with. Because you know, if you've noticed when you go to the website for the Olympics, no matter what sport you look at, everything has kind of the same look and feel. Um, and they've got this big, massive system that, you know, kind of, aggregates all the data from all the different sports so that it can be presented that way so each you know software for any sport presumably but certainly for fencing has to integrate with that system so that you know you can feed the data into there um and yeah getting getting into that world is from what i've been told it's you know since they already have software that does it and actually it's it if you think about it it's it's remarkably simple i mean it's it's a tableau and that's it you know mm-hmm. that you don't have to deal with pools you know the 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 seating of the tableau is straight based on the rankings you know so there's no random elements really um and you know so it's actually relatively straightforward but again you know i think you know, it's it's largely that you know they've already got a system that works, and you know I, I think they, it's it's it'll be tough to convince them. Hey, here's a new system to use, especially since it's once every four years. But hopefully someday. I'm Yours is better. Yours is better. On Opart, you've got to scroll forever. If like you know the controls of what you're selecting and then the results of what you're seeing, they're so far apart. There's so much scrolling. The um, for those that don't know the term, like screen real estate, you know, is poorly used in, in Opart. So real estate is what you have 
you know, it's the amount of space you have on a screen. So whether that's a computer or a mobile or a tablet, um, you know, the, the placement of things is very important. That's often why logos in websites are top left because brands deem those to be the most important elements. So top left is like your most valuable space because you know, no matter what device you're on, it will always be seen. Um, so, you know, it's interesting to know all that, but I find, you know, since you released your, um, your, your redesign of fencing time, um, and it was good to use before before that, but since then, I just I find it very easy to use, very easy to read, uh, and I think it's great. So the Olympics is the next mountain to climb and conquer, and uh, I have no doubt, based on your journey, that you'll get there. And, yeah. and actually, just to, like interject that with the whole Olympic stuff, it, it, it's absolutely like a real challenge, and it's something from certainly like my point of view, from an athlete's point of view, that can and and obviously same same for you, Dan. This is the idea of like these contracts and who's got the contract of what. And things like that can be exceptionally challenging. I know one of the big things that's been lobbied for a long time is is athletes not feeling they have to sign their life away when they get selected for the for the Olympic Games. And when I say that, it's it's that obviously the Olympic Games is is a multi million pound um, or multi million dollar kind of movement now where you've got these huge sponsors so you've got like coca-cola you've got like uh for example you've got obviously like huge um sporting brands like adidas behind it and so certainly from an athlete's point of view what you tend to find is that there may be a sponsor that's been with you for a long period of time so you know in the purpose of me that's like leon paul for example um and suddenly you get, you know, you qualify for the games, you get selected for Olympic games and, and, and then you have to sign a, a document to say that, well, actually, all of the stuff that you're going to wear is by the, the headline kind of brands that have won the contract. And so suddenly a sponsor that may have been with you for kind of like 12 years of your career has to kind of be sidelined for a few months whilst you, you take on that contract. And, and it's there's been a lot of lobby from the athletes to try and get that changed, which is to, you know, be able to wear the brands um, at the Olympic Games that have been supporting them for kind of long periods of time and, and and there's there's quite a difficult situation there where you've got to balance the understanding that you're going to Olympic Games and of course you want to like be supported by a mainline brand like Adidas or something like that because they give you all of like the kit and things like that but yeah. at the same time you don't want to also just kind of like just ignore your sponsor that's helped you get there for the kind of like last few years so it's a it's a real like melting pot of of, of, of kind of like politics but also all for the kind of right reasons but it can it can make it really challenging, I guess. And I suppose it's probably a similar situation to kind of what you're in with, 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 with fencing time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it may have been in Rio that I remember seeing or hearing about a bit of a controversy with Beats headphones because they weren't a sponsor, but I think, you know, in the athlete's village, they were handing out beat, free Beats headphones to kind of everyone. So all, yeah. the swimmers, all the swimmers were turning up, you know, kind of rocking up in their zone, all wearing Beats headphones. And someone went, hang on, what's going on here? I just yeah. wasn't approved. It was really funny. So I, I had the pleasure of traveling out with the team and, and, and kind of being one of the sparring partners and, 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 and reserve out there with the guys. And, and we, um, you know, we were the first thing. And this really upset me as well because I didn't get one. So basically, this is just me having a gripe. But all the guys got given like Samsung phones because um, Samsung were a headline headline sponsor. Um, yeah. And so, you know, if you're going to get photographed, obviously you couldn't like get photographed with things that were not that either that brand. So, for example, if you had an iPhone, you'd have a cover on the back, those kind of things. Um, you know, and even if you just kind of we weren't allowed to or we were allowed to take our own like clothing. Right. But Team GB give you the stash that's all from Adidas, which is incredible and, and so generous. But, you know, if you decide to like walk out the, the kind of uh, village or wherever you're staying at the time, just to pop down the, you know, the, the local supermarket and you've got kind of jeans and Nike trainers on, you're going to get like properly told off. Because if someone takes a photo of an Olympic athlete <laughs> that's sponsored by Adidas for the Olympic Games with suddenly Nike trainers on, you're in so much trouble. And, and 
you know, we had that. We went to the European Games about making sure we wore like the right. Um, we got the same thing with Team GB and had all the kit, and and then we, you know, we went onto the podium, and suddenly there was a bit of controversy about who's got the right trainers on. Have we have we had the right trainers for the right podium presentation? So it becomes this kind of real um political minefield that you're like look i just want to go on the podium and get my medal i and you know i know you guys are giving me a tracksuit but i've got four different tracksuits to 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 you know choose from and i'm being called to doping control you know it's it's one of those really difficult strange situations but it sounds like it's been an amazing like journey for fencing time coming from kind of this this huge um you know uh, fencing machine that is kind of america and, and trialing it all out and then getting as far as, as, as kind of a, the vet world champs and uh, seeing things there firsthand, it really helps that you're a fencer. So you can see where things have kind of like fallen down and how, how things can be resolved. And so you see it from the fencer's point of view. And having been at competitions um, regularly where obviously fencing time is used, it's, it's so great for me to be able to kind of like know where I am, who I've got, when I've got them. It's all really user-friendly. It's very visual, makes my life as an athlete so much easier and and it kind of it, it it really is such a lifetime away from when i used to turn up at a competition with a little like paper license that i kind of <laughs> give to the, the the dt to check in hand hand like hand 20 pounds over do my pools that were all on a sheet and then you kind of get someone scribbling away at the back and then you get these printed sheets put on a wall somewhere in the corner and then have a hundred people crowd around an a4 piece of paper it's it kind of almost took me back to the nostalgic bit when you were saying that you were burning CDs and giving out fencing time and fencing competitions. It almost sounds like burning a mixtape. It's and for, for the younger generations now, they have obviously no idea what kind of burning a CD is. They just see it on the app store and they download it. So it's been such a nostalgic, but yet incredible, incredible journey. Um, and, and I think Chris was really interested to kind of see what potentially was like next, given the fact that we're in a global pandemic and, and uh, obviously not many fencing competitions are run. Has this given you time to think about different functionalities or different ways of like running competitions or using fencing time when we don't have competitions and when we're in this kind of like lockdown at the moment? Yeah, well, the, the it's kind of ironic because, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, you know, the, the sort of the public face of fencing time now that most people are probably familiar with if they, if they're, you know, as athletes, um, you know, they're probably looking at the live results on Fencing Time Live, which, you know, I introduced, I think now three or four years ago. Um, and, you know, I right now, you know, it's designed just to look at the results and, you know, see where you are on the piece. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not very personalized. Um, and I have, you know, I've long have had these plans of building sort of a and add an extension to it where you could log in and you would be able to personalize it to track, you know, yourself, you know, more specifically, um, you know, get notifications when like, you know, your matches up, you'll get, you know, a, a text message. Um, you know, if you have friends that you're interested in, you can follow them and get notifications about their progress through the competition. And, um, you know, this, that was a, a big, a huge feature that I wanted to build and I actually was working on it all of last fall. I think it was for the most part. And I was planning, okay, I'm going to roll this out at the beginning or, you know, mid, you know, 2020 and boom, then the pandemic happened. So I have this huge new feature, which I think, you know, a lot of people I know have actually asked for and, you know, will be excited about, but 
there's no competitions now or there you know there are some but they're they're so small that it, it's not you know not going to be something people would uh it wouldn't really it does it more applies for the bigger competitions um so you know i have this this whole new thing that i'm eager to get released and available for everyone and you know as soon as the competitions start up again um you know that'll be made available to everyone um, you know, sometimes, you know, if you if you go into Fencing Time Live now, you might see a, a, a button at the top that says My Fencers. And if you click that, you know, it says coming soon, but it, it really is coming soon as soon as there's <laughs> some competitions. Um, but yeah, during the, the pandemic, you know, I've, it, it's been strange, you know, I haven't, other than working on that, um, you know, kind of towards the end, well, towards the start of the pandemic was when I was wrapping that up. Um, but I, I've been working on some sort of side projects that are more customized, you know, some formats that they use here um, in, in like the, the high school competitions. I just built some features for that, which will be in the next version. Um, yeah, there haven't been too many features that, you know, I could think of that would work outside of a competition environment. Um, and the, the biggest problem is that, like I mentioned, you know, I tend to try to test these features out at my club before they're released, you know, to work out any problems. And while everything's shut down, I don't even have the ability to do that. So, you know, I don't, and I don't want to release software that hasn't been tested, you know, because sure. it's, it's not fair to make people test things for me and find problems when they're in the middle of a competition. So, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, once things start up again, I'll be able to get, you know, we'll have some competitions out here and we can run them, try these new features out. And then once they're, uh, once I'm happy with them, you know, get it out to everyone. And I think, yeah, there's a lot of neat stuff. You know, I've got a, I have a huge list of ideas, you know, it runs, I don't know, I think it's something like 400, 400 items and, you know, the, it's just a matter of finding the time to do them because, you know, yes. I mean, the, I didn't mention this earlier, but, you know, fencing time is a completely a, a side hobby. I mean, I have a regular day job that I do and, you know, which is why, oddly enough, you know, the vast majority of the coding for fencing time is done between the hours of 11 p.m. at night and usually three or four in the morning. Um, you know, I stay up ridiculously late working on things. Um, and actually I have to admit, you know, working, you know, we've been working from home for my, you know, through the pandemic for my day job, which actually makes things a little easier because, uh, if my, if I finish the work I have for my day job, I can switch over to my fencing time work during the day and work on that a little bit. <laughs> Well, you're, you're, you're doing a great job. And I love the fact that you were, you, you know, you're saying you're working late and things like that. And you've also taken the time out of that, that busy kind of like night owl schedule to talk to two random Brits across the pond. So it's, um, it, it, it's great. It's great to have you and, and kind of find out more about this. And, and I guess as a person that's, you know, um, been been involved in the kind of progression and development of fencing, as I say, I've witnessed it firsthand as a fencer, no longer having to crowd around a piece of A4. But, you know, having access to, to, to you know, my tableau and things are going even on my phone, which is an incredible piece of um, kind of advancement in, in the game. Is there kind of any like inspirations or things that you've seen from like other sports that you want to see included in fencing? Are you like quite impressed by how far the sport has developed technologically speaking in the last few decades? 
Yeah, I mean, well, a couple of things which are really neat. You know, I I've, I like the you know not, this doesn't necessarily tie in with fencing time as much, but you know certainly the presentation of the pieces. You know, I know that you know in the Olympics there in London, you know the the lighting and the way the piece looked was just so much improved over you know kind of a the way things used to be and you know that that's continued at all the big competitions uh you know i don't well you i think you were probably in wuxi at for the world championships um and the floor there where it was a giant screen that was amazing um, you know that 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 to date is the pinnacle of you know my my success where you know running running the world championships in wuxi with fencing time was an amazing experience and and you know some of the software I wrote for fencing time was actually used to drive the the screen on the floor, which was uh, which was really interesting. I mean it was it was blew my mind to see fencing time on the on the floor. You know because <laughs> from up on the DT you could see that whole room and it was amazing. But um, but yeah, I think the you know just the presentation of the the sport has been really exciting, and you know I'm, I like how you know, these different, uh, you know, the different companies that are producing the pieces, And, uh, I think, I think it was started with by Leon Paul back in London and absolute has been doing a lot of fascinating stuff. You know, they, they did the, the floor in, uh, in Wuxi. Um, and then of course, you know, the, the, what's being done now with the wireless, um, you know, the, the smaller systems like the Leon Paul system. And there's the, I can't remember if they're Australian or from New Zealand, um, but uh, I can't even remember what they're called, like on point or something. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Australia, I believe. Yeah, they're kind of wireless small systems that are, I know Leon Paul have got their own wireless system and a, a couple of other ones have come out as well. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine has that system. He's been working with them a bit here in the US and I've you know had the chance to try it and it is really cool. So, I, mm. you know, I, I seeing the, the wireless systems, you know, that are more reliable than kind of the, the older ones is pretty exciting. Um, so yeah, I think they're, you know, seeing all this new technology is, you know, going to make the sport even more interesting. I, I don't know, you know, what, you know, the, I'm sure there's people that are thinking about more ways to innovate than, than I can even imagine, you know, since I'm so focused on the, the competition aspect of, you know, managing it, um, you know, some of these, uh, these systems, how do you make the presentation of the whole competition better is somewhat beyond my vision and, you know, and things I would even think of. But yeah, in some ways, the managing the competition isn't a terribly, it, it's sort of a well-defined problem. And, you know, the real innovations behind it, you know, are seen only by a few people because, you know, the, the you know, my customers, at least that are paying for fencing time are the people running the DT and the number of people running DTs in the world is far smaller than the number of fencers. And so, you know, I, I might come up with some innovative feature that the, the DT members love, but you know, the, the fencers would never know about because <laughs> it's not something that they, uh, they ever get to see, you know, they might notice that the, the competition's running a little more smoothly or something like that. But, um, you know, but the, the one area where I'm able to innovate that the fencers can appreciate, like you were saying, is the, the live results, um, you know, in, in Wuxi, you know, was where I first had the, the live strip scores. So you could see kind of the, 
the scoring machines with the lights and the score and the time coming up in real time. And uh, yeah, I had friends that were telling me that that was one of the only things that they could watch because the live streams were blocked by the, the, the Chinese firewall. And so they yeah. couldn't actually watch the matches from, you know, here in the U.S. or, you know, in Europe. So all they could watch is the scores on Fencing Time Live, watching the lights on the screen to see their friends, you know, how their friends were doing, which was amazing. You know, it, it, I can't imagine watching a match that way, but if that's, that's exactly all you got, how I, I watched Ben when he was competing at that competition. Because <laughs> <laughs> the streams really didn't work. All I had was the live scores to go off and know whether to cheer or, you know, want to punch the screen. I mean, to be honest, it's quite interesting. The only thing that was kind of missing from that competition was the fact that you sh- you could have, it would have been lovely to be able to watch it anywhere in the world. I think if I, it, what's amazing is a bit of a pinch myself moment. If I take myself back to a 10 year old kid that just wanted to be like Peter Pan and play with swords and then fast forward my career where I'm, 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 I'm in China competing um, on the world champs, looking at this floor lighting up, sending videos to my friends back home, seeing an amazing new um, fencing system uh, that's kind of like taken the global stage by storm, you know, flash up on, on the, on the, the, the kind of floor itself was just an, an incredible moment for me. And, and I think what was even stranger was the fact that that world champs even had a KFC in the middle of the, of, of the fencing <laughs> hall. So, you know, it was this whole smorgasbord of kind of in a, innovation and, and, and kind of growth of, of, of the game. And, and obviously you've had a massive, massive part in that and it's it's just yeah it's been absolutely incredible to see and, and i think that you know I, I long to get back to competitions as does chris um and and you know long to be able to just you know go to europe and have have the all the scores part of my phone there and then so i know whichever hall i have to run to in about two hours yeah that that kfc and wuxi saved me because the the food that they provided for the dt was awful so i frequently was skipping that and would run into the other hall and get some kfc to keep myself <laughs> keep myself sustained i don't, I don't blame you it was it, it, I, I must admit i think i i went there twice throughout the competition that was once off the individual once off the team as a little bit of a kind of pick me up but um yeah I, I i know what it's like um kind of seeing uh poor dt running back and forth i think the athletes have it rough i mean people on dt who run these competitions have and same with the referees, they're going 24-7. In fact, our, our, um, our club, uh, Fences Club London, um, we, we run a few competitions a year, obviously not, not currently. Um, but our kind of, our main man on, uh, well, main man and main lady on the floor uh, is, is a lady called Debbie Porter and, and James Joy. And they're our absolute saviours when it comes to running competitions. And, and I'm sure they were, they're going to enjoy this podcast because they get to, you know, kind of hear from the man, man himself that, uh, that, 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 that created this incredible programme. But I think certainly for them, certainly hats off because I know they're just squirrelling away behind a desk for most of the day why you know, athletes get to swan around and do a little bit of fencing every now and then and hopefully come away with a medal. But nobody actually says well done and congratulations and great job to DT and people that run the competitions. And, and it's, and it's people like you that are making those people's lives easier as well. Yeah. The, the hallmark of a good DT is one that you don't know is there. Yeah. If, you, if you're aware that they're there, that means something's probably gone wrong and you're suffering for some problem. But yeah, I mean, one of the things, you know, having run so many competitions, you know, in the U S um, and, you know, when once fencing time started getting, adopted by more and more international competitions you know i would frequently come out to you know the competition to a world cup to help run the thing or to make sure everything was running smoothly so you know i've been all over the world now you know helping run competitions with the, you know, helping the dt and uh yeah that that's been one of the 
unexpected side benefits of fencing time is, you know, I've gotten to do all this world travel, which I never would have thought I'd get to do. And uh, that that's another thing which is really killing me that I can't do. I mean, I, I used to fly at least you know, two or three flights a month somewhere. And uh, actually next week, it's going to be one year since I've been on a plane, which is just killing me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know that feeling there. Both Chris and I are, have equal frustration. So hopefully 2021 will be the year of the vaccine and the year of the, the global travel again. So, yeah, think, think, fingers crossed. So, um, but, but Dan, it's been absolutely wonderful to hear from you. And thank you so much for taking the time. I know it's potentially coming up to nearly three o'clock in the morning, your time. So hats off to you being so eloquent at such a, such a, a late stage of the, of the day or, or the morning, actually. So, um, and we kind of, we look forward to, to getting back to competition and using your incredible system and, and, uh, and seeing what kind of new features may, may develop into 21. So um, thank you very much for joining us. Great. Uh, I've enjoyed this and thanks a lot. For more information on fencing time, you can go to www.fencingtime.com. Uh, that's where you can download the software. Uh, you can try it out even if you're just a tiny club. You know, you don't have to pay anything. You can run small competitions with it for free. And um, if you're following competitions or at a competition, you probably will see it on fencingtimelive.com. Um, that's where most people are publishing their results to now. And it's become a big archive of many past competitions too. So those are the, the two main websites. Perfect. And, um, and just, uh, just as a kind of final note to everybody. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Uh, and we'd be so grateful if you could help us reach more listeners. All you have to do is go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and rate, review and subscribe. It would mean the world to us. And it's how iTunes decide which podcasts are worth listening. So follow us and send in questions to our Twitter account at Fenstin Podcast. Uh, I know, Ben, you've got some handles as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, if anyone wants to follow me um, or the, my, the, the, the podcast that, that Chris and I run is, is, is often uh, on my social media feed. So you can also follow it through there as well. So on um, Instagram, it's uh, at Ben Peggs. Um, and on uh, Facebook, it's at Ben Pegs Fencing um, and Twitter, it's at Ben Pegs as well. Pegs spelled P-E-G-G-S. So I think that's uh, probably all the social media junk that you need. But I think that kind of brings us quite nicely to the end of podcast 17. And we will be back with you shortly. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you very much. Bye. Thanks. The Fenced In podcast has been created in association with J4G Design, your one-stop user experience agency for all things digital websites, graphic design, and technical support.